Welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias. Uh, today, there's going to be something a little bit special for you guys. Uh, there's a new season, season three, right, of yes. The Impact. Um, it is out this uh, past couple weeks. Um, we're presenting uh, one of the episodes that we think is going to be especially interesting to Weeds readers. Uh, the show has a new host, Jillian Weinberger. Hello. And, hey, she is here today to talk a little bit about it. So what's this season all about? So this season, we're looking at the big ideas from people who are running for president in 2020, and we're looking at how those ideas have worked in other places or at other times. So the episode that we thought the Weeds listeners would really enjoy is about a law in Germany that looks like part of what the Green New Deal would do in the United States. Cool. So, so what what what's the law? What's it called? So what's it's it called doing? a feed-in tariff, which Ooh. is <laughs> the law basically collects a fee from every single German who uses electricity, and it uses that money to pay above market rates to people who create renewable energy and sell it back to the grid. So it's like it's a guarantee that if you put some solar panels up exactly. on your house or have a, I don't know, like a windmill in your backyard, yep. that the utility will pay you enough to sort of make it worth your while. Exactly. And and even make a little money on top of that most of the time. Right. And so what, what happened? Did it work? So you have to listen to the episode <laughs> to find out. It's been uh, an interesting mix. I think you can say that Germany is one of the main reasons why any of us can afford solar panels or uh, the ability to invest in a wind turbine. But it's also had some unintended consequences. You'll hear we meet a couple in the episode who um, has to really keep track of like every spark of electricity in their apartment. They are on welfare. They don't have a lot of extra money and they're renters, so they can't invest in a solar panel on their roof or anything like that. So they don't benefit from the program, but they have to pay into it. And electricity bills in Germany are the highest in Europe. So, And I mean, you know, it, for people who are just general fans of, of policy, um, you know, all these things intersect with each other, right? And so the, the Germans have had this very sort of low deficit kind of mania uh, th throughout the same time. So they haven't done things that might you know, defray some of these costs. Like everything that the Germans do is fully paid for. So that means these tariffs come out of people's electrical bills. Yeah, exactly. And one of the big critiques of the practice has been that um, they didn't set up the tariffs to go down quickly enough. So people were still getting paid a pretty high price, like 50 cents or so per kilowatt hour, even up to 2009, mm -hmm. when solar panels were already getting way more efficient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they were making a lot of, they were creating a lot of electricity and making a lot of money. And all of that money was coming out of German consumers of electricity. But the sort of biggest impact, right? I mean, like one critique that you often hear of environmental policy is like, the world is so big, you know, it's like, what can we do that would even make a dent? And Part of why this is so important is that it's not just about the renewable energy that was created in Germany, right? But that because people were buying these solar panels, they developed technology to, to make them much more cheap. Exactly. It kind of kickstarted a market right. um, in, in Germany and it drove demand. And actually then China started producing them. And that's a major reason why, um, you know, solar panels became somewhat affordable. And I always say one of the funniest things about this is like, if you've ever been to Germany, I mean, I know you have been to Germany, <laughs> it's not very sunny there. No. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. I think most of the renewable energy that's created, or the majority of it, is from wind. Right. 
Germany is renowned not for its sunshine, but for its like industrial prowess, right? right? And so they actually did get quite good at manufacturing solar panels. I went one time, this was years ago, I guess when this must have been new, but I went to a, a solar city factory yeah. in, in a city called Leipzig. Uh-huh. And they were, but it was just like cloudy all the time. I was like, <laughs> what are you? Like, what are you doing with this? Um, yeah, I guess the idea is you collect everything that you can. So now, you know, in, in the U.S., solar panels are are much less expensive than they were 10 years ago. And, you know, we don't live in the sunniest part of America. Sure. But it's like if you live in Phoenix right. and you get cheap solar panels, you're really in good shape. Yeah. Germany really, in a lot of ways, ate the cost for the rest of the world to have to have that capacity. So is there anything like particularly surprising that that you picked up here that that people should look out for? I guess in general I was impressed or maybe a little surprised by the practicality of the environmental movement in Germany mm. that the guy behind this big idea his name is Hans-Josef Fell. One of the things he said to us in in the course of our interviews is that it can't just be a movement if we're going to really make change we need to to have political regulations. So, you know, Germany has the Green Party. This guy Mm -hmm. is a member of the Green Party. And they, as of 1998, got into power on the federal level and and really took their moment and and passed environmental legislation. And um, but they also, you know, one of the issues about this idea is that some German companies got exemptions from the feed-in tariff at the beginning so they wouldn't have to pay such a high cost of electricity. Okay. So companies that make like aluminum or things that where electricity is their biggest cost. Uh-huh. So uh, this guy, Mr. Fell, was like, you know what? It's fine. We're going to give them exemptions because this regulation will not succeed in Germany if we uh, create problems for the biggest industries. And, right. I, and I thought that was really interesting. I don't, I, I'm not as tapped into the environmental movement in the United States, but I felt like it was just a very practical approach mm-hmm. uh, to to creating policy. Yeah, and they were willing to accept a lot of, I guess, what we would call technically um, like horizontal inequities, mm-hmm. right? In which like similar situations were not necessarily treated similarly mm-hmm. just because like they really wanted to get it done, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if people could say, well, you're going to crush the aluminum industry, it wouldn't have gotten done. Exactly. So, so there's no like reason really to exempt them. Right. I mean, I think the idea is like they won't be able to compete globally, then they'll lobby against this. So one of the problems with this law is that now a lot of other companies have lobbied to get exemptions who he believes doesn't deserve yeah, them. In the long run, right, like this is not going to be the policy framework, right? The, the tariff that that's high and, and with so many exemptions, right. but it but it sort of jump-started change. And then I, I guess, so you said, did this come in in the, in the red-green Coalition yes, originally. in 1998, yeah. But so it survived across a bunch of different political regimes. It did. It got amended. Uh-huh. And, and and that's one of the reasons why the surcharge on people's electricity bills has gone up. Uh-huh. So this man, Herfell, did not have kind things to say about uh, Angela Merkel <laughs> and and the uh, CDU. But um, yes, it did survive in, in some form. I mean, it's, and that's quite different from I, I, it's uh, the German party system is less polarized. Uh, yeah, than, very, way less polarized. Th- yes. Than America. So, so this kind of thing sticks. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that sounds great. Um, you know, I think people are really going to like this episode. Uh, there's been a lot of demand from listeners for more climate environmental content. Uh, this is one of the most important stories that's played out in the world and, and a whole great series looking at sort of models for policy that's here. Uh, so thank you so much, yeah, Jillian. Thanks, and uh, Everybody give it a listen. This is like a hobbit house, Jillian. 
This is really cute. There's grass all over the roof. This hobbit house is perched on a hill in a tiny town in northern Bavaria, Germany. Picture like a, I don't know, like a, like a little fairy tale log cabin. Yeah, there are these flower boxes on every window. It's literally built into the side of a hill. The roof is like covered in grass. Hello. It's so good nice to, meet to meet you. Nice to meet you. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. So, Will you come in? Yes. Your please. house is amazing. Yeah, this is so In lovely. this little hobbit house, a regular-sized man named Hans Josef Fell revolutionized the way the world gets its energy. Hans Josef gives us a tour of his home, which is the most eco-friendly place I've ever seen. He walks us over to the indoor greenhouse covered in plants with its own well. This is a water from rain. He takes us outside to a homemade pond where... Apparently, Hans-Josef swims every day. Even in wintertime swimming, it protects you from diseases. But the reason we are here is because of what's on top of the house. Hans-Josef walks us into the backyard so we can see onto his roof. So you see the solar panels on my roof. The solar panels are built up in 1991. So these are the solar panels that, like, are the reason the world has renewable energy. Yes. It's a big claim. Yeah, but but hear us out here. Germany used to get nearly all of its energy from fossil fuels or nuclear power. But as of last year, it was getting almost half of its energy from renewables, like solar and wind. And look, Germany isn't perfect with regards to green energy. It is a country that still loves its coal, but shifting to nearly half renewables is huge. And it is arguably because of Hans-Josef Fell. The solar panels on his roof gave him an idea that first changed his tiny town, then all of Germany, and now, potentially, the world. From the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is The Impact. I'm Jillian Weinberger. This season, we're looking at the big ideas from people running for president in 2020. We're investigating how those ideas worked or didn't work in other places or at other times. Like the Green New Deal. It's a plan, really a set of resolutions, to fight climate change. Renewable energy would be a big part of that. Almost all of the Democratic candidates for president have endorsed it. Massive investments in wind, solar, and other sustainable technologies. Double the amount of renewable energy. All new building in the United States has to be carbon-free. We have to build a green infrastructure. Today on the show, I'm partnering with my friend Kenny Malone. Hello, Jillian. Hi, Kenny. Kenny is a co-host on the excellent NPR podcast, Planet Money. And we went to Germany because it's had a policy in place for the last 20 years that's not too far off from the Green New Deal Democrats are proposing for the U.S. Germany's Green New Deal changed the way the country gets its power, but it also left some Germans living in the dark. There's, I, I can't see anything electric that's running. We started turning it off when we were going to bed. Like literally in the dark. Even like the power strips, like the plug strips, those are turned off. Yeah, yeah. We talked with the man from the Hobbit house, Hans-Josef Fell, in his backyard under a trellis covered in grapevines. This is beautiful. Oh, it will be silence because sometimes the farmers in the vineyards coming with loud machines. 
Hans-Josef does not look like your typical eco-warrior. He's wearing a button-down shirt. He's got short, cropped hair. He's a tall guy in his late 60s. He looks like a retired bureaucrat, which is what he is. Hans-Josef was a schoolteacher, but his political career started about 30 years ago when he ran for city council. Around the same time, he installed those solar panels. Oh, it was so expensive. I remember it was about 70,000 Deutsche Mark. That's nearly $80,000 in today's money. And back then, the panels were really pretty inefficient. Expensive and kind of crappy. And that is why practically no other houses in Hans-Josef's town had them. Did people know you as the guy with solar panels? Yes, I was very famous. Yeah. There's Hans, My... solar panel Hans. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. The solar freak. <laughs> the solar freak. For Hans-Josef, those panels were not a good financial investment. They were an environmental investment. They were worth it to him because he wanted to do his part to stop climate change, however small that was. But Hans-Josef knew that for renewable energy to actually make a difference, it couldn't just be a luxury for solar freaks like him. It had to make sense financially for everybody. But how does that happen? When Hans-Josef thought about this question, he thought about other technologies that started off really expensive, but eventually ended up way cheaper. Do you remember what your first scientific calculator costed? I had to pay 300 Deutsche Mark. 300 Deutschmarks back in 1980 would be like 500 today dollars. And that was buying Hans-Josef a pretty basic calculator. As a student, it was very, very expensive, but I needed it. Ten years later, you got it for one Deutsche Mark. Hans-Josef's point is that new technology is always really expensive. But if you can somehow just kickstart a market for that thing, the price should come down over time. There would be economies of scale. There would be technological breakthroughs. There's this snowball effect. And so Hans-Josef started to think about how to get that snowball rolling for cheaper solar panels. This was back in the early 90s, and he started talking about this idea with other officials from neighboring towns. Some people in Aachen, in Freising, myself. and Hans-Josef and this band of merry solar freaks came up with a plan to use something called a feed-in tariff. I did it first times in my hometown, where the first feed-in tariff for solar was paid in the world. A feed-in tariff is a weird phrase. It's not great branding. (laughs) It's not. It's not. But it is a big idea. So we should talk about it for a second. Yeah. If Hans-Josef is the man who helped give the world cheap green energy, the feed-in tariff is the wonky policy idea that helped him do that. The very, very basic idea is this. You are going to take a little bit of money from everyone who uses electricity. That is the tariff part of feed-in tariff. Yes. And then we give that money to people who are investing in renewable energy, like solar and wind and hydropower and all that stuff. People who are feeding more green energy into the grid. The feed-in part (laughs) of feed-in tariff. Hans-Josef got to try this out on a local level first. Then other cities in Germany were like, maybe we should do this. Frankfurt, Nuremberg, Munich, they adopted it. And then Hans-Josef's political party, the Green Party, they got into power on the national level. And he got his chance to try this feed-in tariff out on the entire country. It was this huge experiment, really. Can you create a market, kind of overnight, 
by tipping the financial scale away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy. The big question really was, would this shift in incentives be enough to convert like regular Germans into solar freaks like Hans-Josef? Hello, good morning. Good morning. We drove to a tiny town in Germany full of cows called Zarbeck. That's where we broke a milk vending machine. We did break a milk vending machine there. An unfortunate accident. But we also got to meet a man named Joost Strater. Can I just say I'm a little disappointed that you're wearing sandals, but they're not Birkenstocks. <laughs> I just use these sandals because my feet are sweating. Yeah, <laughs> so, mine too. Back in 2005, solar panels seemed like kind of a lousy deal. They were inefficient and expensive. But then, Joost heard about Hans-Josef's feed-in tariff. The deal was, if Joost put up solar panels, he could sell that solar electricity back to the grid, and the government would guarantee him a price, a very high price, of 50 cents per kilowatt hour for 20 years. The solar panels would more than pay for themselves. So Joost started putting them up. How many panels do you have in total? Oh, let me say 30 and... You have so many, you've lost count. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hughes takes us inside his house and pulls up this very colorful solar electricity spreadsheet. Does the company give you this, or do you keep? No, no, I did. I did it myself. You did all of this yourself? Yeah, sure. This is elaborate. According to Hughes' numbers, he makes about thirty-five hundred euros per year selling solar electricity back to the grid. He has more than paid off his solar panels. Again, the way this works, this isn't some government subsidy. Everybody's electricity bill is going to go up a little bit so that somebody like Eust can get this very high guaranteed price for his solar electricity. So if you want to think about who is really paying for this, it's people who are not taking advantage of the feed-in tariff, who are not putting up solar panels. Were you one of the first people in your neighborhood to put the panels on? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And did you look at your neighbors and think, ha, suckers, like you're paying no, for my no, panels? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I have been thinking, why don't you do it? As in, you should put your own panels up and also get the money, like me. We should mention that Joost gets a very high guaranteed price because he put his panels up 15 years ago, back when the technology was way more expensive. Somebody putting panels up today would get a lower guaranteed price. But either way, the cost of the panels gets covered. And that is the beauty of the design of the feed-in tariff. It turns renewable energy from a luxury item into a solid investment. It transforms the solar curious into full-on solar freaks. Yes. Again, full-on solar freak and feed-in tariff originator Hans-Josef Fell. So when did this become a success story in Germany? How did you see it become accepted and successful. We could see a lot of new solar panels. You should drive in South Bavaria. You will see one village after the others. Half of the rooftops are only solar rooftops. It is very, very good. And sure enough, we saw his big idea at work all over the country. And it's not just solar panels. Lots of things are incentivized by the feed-in tariff. Wind turbines, biomass plants... And yes, solar panels. So many solar panels. You are the solar freak. 
And you would drive around and it's like a new solar freak, another solar freak. Yes, we have so plenty solar freaks, but I'm the head of the solar freaks. <laughs> you're, the, you're the king solar freak. Yes. Hans Josef's idea helped grow a whole new market for renewable energy technology. Solar and wind companies started popping up in Germany and then all over the world. Eventually, China started producing these renewables as well, and prices of these expensive technologies plummeted, just like Hans Josef had predicted, like he had seen with his scientific calculator. And sure, renewable energy is not a luxury item anymore. But after the break, how some Germans ended up paying way more than their fair share for this transition. Welcome back. So, as we said earlier, the thing about the feed-in tariff is that if you are not personally producing your own renewable energy somehow, you are essentially paying for the people who are. At first, this wasn't such a big deal. Just a little bit of extra money on people's electricity bills. But a few things happened that started to shift the financial burden of this energy transformation. A couple of those reasons are kind of complicated. There was a change in the way energy rates got calculated. Technologies got better, faster than people expected. But one particularly interesting and maybe unsurprising problem was big company exemptions. When Hans Josef Fell envisioned this program, he was like, I'm a reasonable guy. I know that a few of our companies need exemptions in order to still compete globally. However, as time went on, more and more companies managed to weasel their way out of paying into the feed-in tariff. Even though it wasn't totally clear to Hans Josef that these were the kinds of companies that needed an exemption. We see companies like, what says that in English? Um... Companies who kill the chickens for meat. Why must we exempt chicken killing companies? (laughs) We have tens of thousands of companies who are exempted. And in the beginning, it was really just five or six companies? Yes, 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 so about. Okay, that's a big switch. All of these changes meant that regular German citizens had to pay a greater share of the switch to green energy. And their electric bills started going up. Yes, the surcharge is too high. It must not be so high, but it isn't too high to be a burden for the German economy and for the most people. The thing about this feed-in tariff is that it is designed to create winners and losers. If you invest in renewable energy, you win. And you are essentially being paid by people who didn't invest. But there is a whole category of people who cannot invest. People who, for example can't install solar panels on their roofs because they are renters or people who just don't have the money laying around to invest in a wind turbine. These are the people who are being asked to disproportionately pay for Germany's change over to green energy. And often these are poorer Germans whose electricity bills have been going up really fast. Germany has had to develop an entire program, a kind of electricity special forces to help people deal with soaring electricity costs. Guten Tag. We tagged along on one of these special forces visits, what they call a Stromsparcheck, at an apartment in Dusseldorf. My name is Sonde. My name is Dolores. She's from Germany, and I'm from Nigeria. And who's this? This is Jordan, and he's nine months old now. 
As soon as we walked into Sunday and Dolores' apartment, we noticed it was it was unusually quiet and dark. Like it was summer, but there were no fans running. There was no air conditioning. All the window shades were down, but like basically no lights were turned on. We asked Sunday and Dolores about this. I can't see anything electric that's running. Even like the power strips, those are turned off. Yeah, we, we started turning it off last month. Dolores and Sunday have three kids. And sure, five people can use a lot of electricity. But their bills had gotten really high. Like a fifth of their household income. Just if we look at it like this is a small journey we can do with this yeah. money. Yeah. Right, you could take a vacation. Yeah. yeah. So Dolores called Strumpsparcheck, this government nonprofit hybrid that goes to people's houses and tries to find every possible way to cut down on electricity. For example, they told Dolores and Sunday that hot water uses a lot of electricity, so they should take shorter showers. This, by the way, a uh, minor point of contention between Sunday and Dolores. Like yesterday, I, I go and shower and I'll come out and say, how, how long do you stay inside shower? <laughs> Did consume much money and... <laughs> but I have long hairs. <laughs> also, he has no hair. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so Dolores is taking shorter showers. Sunday is watching fewer soccer games on their big screen TV. And they're even switching off their power strips when they're not using them. In Germany, it has become very expensive not to keep track of every spark of electricity in your house. The country has the highest electricity prices in Europe. So you're paying a lot for electricity. And... Ultimately, it is helping Germany transition to green energy. Even if it costs you a lot of money, are you okay with that? Yeah, because you, you can see the climate is changing. The climate is changing, she says. It's already too late, but if we can help, we have to. We have to. Dolores gestures at her son, Jordan, meaning we have to think about the future of our planet for my kids' sake. And surveys show that most Germans are like Dolores. They're okay with paying the extra money for this greater good. They feel the costs of climate change are going to be really high, much higher than anyone's electric bill. Everyone is benefiting when we have climate protection. Again, Hans-Josef Fell, King Solar Freak, the man behind the renewable plan. Was this a success? Did this work? is the biggest success what we ever had. No other law in the world stimulated such a positive effect for climate protection. Because climate protection you can make only with zero emission technology. And this came with a feed-in tariff. There's a very reasonable argument that because of Hans-Josef Fell and this feed-in tariff, solar and wind and other renewable energy technologies are now affordable, even good investments for a huge number of people and businesses all over the world, including in the United States. If the U.S. adopts the Green New Deal, it will be complicated. We'll have to make changes. Germans were willing to do that, despite the risks and costs. But whether or not Americans are willing to do the same, because of Germany's Green New Deal, the American version would be a lot cheaper. The period in the world where we have to pay for clean technology, renewable technology, is over. Thanks to Germany. Thanks to Germany, yes, and others, but mostly Germany, that's, that's true. Somebody had to pay the initial price to get that green energy market started. Germany, and more specifically, German electricity consumers, did just that. 
This episode was produced by Alexi Horowitz-Ghazi with help from Bird Pinkerton and editing from Bryant Erstadt and Alex Goldmark. The Impact's editor is Amy Drozdowska. Jared Paul mixes and scores the show with help from Paul Mounsey. We had music from APM, Poddington Bear, and a theme by Jukebox the Ghost. Thank you to Lauren Katz, Zach Kahn, and Marika Ball-Damberg for all their help with marketing and engagement. And thank you always to Sarah Cliff. Liz Nelson is Vox's editorial director for podcasts. Special thanks to Barbara Kalker, Nicola Buscotte, Jörn Hopman, Annette Meyritz, and Stefan Schultz. And a very, very special thanks to Misha Yost, who drove us on the Autobahn, showed us his beloved windmill, and tried to get German cows to talk to us. I mean, are you sure they're going to make noise? Yeah, we will try it. Ooh, friends from USA here, they're coming from far away. What a sound. They're just staring at you. Your mom is in English. Oh, do you, do you, she's a German cow. She's a German cow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's an umlaut. Klaus is a bit Swedish. All right, so uh, if you like that episode, and I hope you do, uh, you should subscribe to The Impact on the Vox Media Podcast Network. New episodes are out every Wednesday, so you can fill the, the gaping void in your life uh, between Weeds episodes. Uh, check it out, and The Weeds will be back on Friday. Bye.